Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show. Uh, the uh, off-air portion continues. Uh, we are in our first week of, you know, exclusive to podcasts. Uh, the last couple have just been like way too long, um, you know, in terms of just like I'm going to sleep at like 2 a.m. now. So trying to record it a little bit earlier, uh, giving Alex his usual day off um, uh, for the week, even though this was already a four day week. Uh, and even though we are just podcasting from home. Um, so, yeah, brought in front of the program, um, the slander god, uh, Assad, Assad Alvi. What's going on, man? Uh, not much, man. Just, uh, you know, getting through, you know, just watching great playoff basketball, mm. you know, enjoying, enjoying all there is to watch in basketball. Like it's been, it's been pretty awesome that we've basically gotten like nonstop awesome basketball night after night until yeah. now. Like this is the first night off in like what, like through two weeks, three weeks or something like that. I feel so, like more than that, man. Cause tonight I was kind of like, I kind of didn't really know what to do with myself in a weird way. Cause even if I'm not just like watching a whole basketball game, I kind of still like to tune in or like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like maybe like 10, 15 minutes there or there. And I, I turned on both like TSN and Sportsnet. And I was just like, there's, I, I was like, is there a WNBA game on tonight? I'd be, yeah, I'd be, um, would love to tap in. Couldn't see anything there. And then it was like CBL. And I was like, oh man, I mean, like, do I, am I really going to two tap in? But I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll lock in for like a minute and a half um, before I, I forget which two teams were playing, but yeah. I, yeah. I reached that point where I was like, you know, I will watch a little CBL. So yeah, no, the, the plans have been amazing. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll get more of it tomorrow. Um, you know, we'll see if the, the Celtics can do this. Cause you're already starting to see like a little bit of the narrative flipping. I don't understand. Like they, they, they're still down three one, and everyone's still very cautious about that. But you starting to hear like Zach and some of the other major podcasts start to talk about like, well, you know, you know, if there was a team that would pull off uh, the first, you know, reverse sweep, uh, being down oh three and winning uh, in seven, it would be this Boston team because statistically they're amazing. And- Look, man, when you spend the entire when you spend an entire year and you basically in November anointed team as like, this is one of the historically greatest teams of all time. Their, their defense last year was like the greatest since the Detroit Pistons. Uh-huh. Their offense is like, they're basically revolutionized basketball by shooting the three point shot a lot. It's like, bro, like, of course, of course it's going to take a while for people to kind of get over the fact that they bought so hard in on this team that um, again, like, I feel like, and like, this is kind of a general thing. It's an issue out of basketball. I feel like, like basketball, has been reduced to like specific plays or like specific percentages or specific stats rather than like, Oh, I need a guy who can, you know, hit a crossover, like crossover between, between jumper sidestep jumper. And it's like guy with all these moves, the guy who can hit a bunch of threes can shoot threes at 40%. And it's like all these individual things are important, but they're only important if it's in the scope of like good basketball. Right. So like if you're playing good basketball, reasonable basketball, if you're actually like using these skills and like, like using your advantages in a way that's like smart on a basketball court. Like people forget about the playing basketball, like the game portion of the game, like the mm. gamesmanship and focus too much on like, you know, like it. And that's why like game three was like the best example where like people say the Celtics gave up was like, you just saw them come up and chuck the same three, like pull up three from like the 45, like 10 possessions in a row. Yep. And it's like, Oh, well, if they just hit their threes, they were good looks. Like they were, fairly open shots and they that's not how this works it's like that's not how basketball works like it's like you like 
you have to play to the game that's in front of you, right? And like some possessions, you're going to be tired. And even if you are a 40% shooter, maybe you've just run three possessions back and forth on defense and your legs are a little tired. Maybe that isn't the best shot. Maybe the best thing is to use yourself as a decoy and get someone else open. But those are things where like, I think that gets lost in the conversation about basketball, where people will start talking more about the game as it being like more of like a sport, like maybe like baseball, right? Where you have like these, like, everything every action is like a single instance mm-hmm. right where it's everything's just like one pitch at a time yeah versus it being like like it, it's not it's not chess in that like it's turn by turn right it's it's a dynamic game in the sense that like the plays before and the plays after really do matter and i guess chess isn't the best example but what i mean is like you can't just look at and like each stat as like its own in a vacuum and i yeah. feel like that's kind of what the conversation starts becoming a lot when it comes to basketball and we and this kind of goes into also like how people evaluate players sure. how people look at free agency with teams how it's like every season is either oh if you can't win a championship then what are you doing you better be going the other way you better go and i think it's like you kind of lose like you kind of lose the sense of what your scope should be when you like approach basketball where you approach players approach teams and like how you analyze things mm. and that's one of the things where like i got a little bit tired because like again like, that's why you have a bunch of people that didn't understand that the Nuggets were the best team in the West for this entire playoff run until the Nuggets actually went ahead and beat everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if you just watch them play and, like, you realize that they played team basketball the entire season, then they could respond to anything you threw at them, right? Like, you could throw anything at them and they have, like, they can attack in completely different ways on offense and move the floor and all their players are smart playmakers and they're dynamic. Like, you can't you can you can't give Jamal Murray the same look over and over again and you can change the look on him and they'll just throw it to Jokic and then they'll problem solve on the fly mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's the same thing that why Miami's so successful is because they have a lot of smart basketball players that problem solve on the fly yep and are able to make something happen out of every possession um even when you get like very quickly right like making very fast micro decisions and I think that's the piece that kind of gets lost where a lot of people like look for star names or look for like key stats mm-hmm. which is like again like i hated watching every boston celtic game this season even last season where i'm just like they're shooting like so many threes their defense is just like yeah they're playing like just switch heavy um but like effectively i'm like this it once you start playing just math ball mm-hmm. you kind of lose i i think it kind of loses the thing because when you start playing the averages you're not playing the best possible basketball you're just playing like the most above average basketball and I think to win it all, you have to be able to find what the best basketball in the moment needs to be. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I think it's it's not as simple as sort of like you sprinkle, you take all your possessions and you distribute them in all these specific ways. And if you know that you shoot 40% from the left wing, then you sprinkle more possessions there. And then therefore that gives you more points at the end. Like it's just, it's just not as simple as that. Even something like, for example, if you look at a box score, like – you know, a field goal, like a one single field goal. Like what, what is that actually encapsulating other than who touched the ball last and from what distance was that ball released as it went in? Because it doesn't really account for how the defense played it. doesn't account for, um, you know, who set that up or sort of what action set that up. It doesn't account for the screen that might have went into it. doesn't account for, um, you know, the, the time and score and the specific situational importance of that basket. Like it just kind of flattens everything out. And I understand that like, you know, analysis and basketball in, in, in most sports now are, are much more complex than that. But like, 
I don't know. I think maybe the discourse is still trying to catch up to it, even though the discourse, I think, in basketball is trying to get a lot smarter. Like you and I were talking about hockey right before this. And it was just kind of funny thinking about like, you know, the way some hockey players or even executives still think, um, you know, it's a much more old school kind of like, uh, you know, style and philosophy. I think in basketball, you start to see much more clever ways of going about it. But yeah, I mean, like that's the thing with Miami, like, you could look at their talent and say, well, individually, when you go across the board, like it's just not close to what Boston has. And I'd actually agree with that. Um, but at the same time, like a guy like Duncan Robinson, for example, he's not going to be that useful on offense unless you move him around, unless you have a good screener for him, unless you have somebody who can also deliver him good passes. And of course, he's got to be able to move and, and understand like when to cut up for the ball when you open for three. And if your opponent is top locking you, then you can maybe cut back door and because you have more of an opportunity to get there. But you're not really going to be able to score back door if you don't have a really good passer to sort of make it happen for you. And that's where BAM becomes really important. And that's where for Miami, like that's a team that plays really well together versus for Boston. I don't really get the sense that like they're playing in a way that you know, they're exploiting mismatches or, um, you know, they're uh, sharing the ball in a way that's not just like you have a talented guy, he drives, he draws two kicks and then swing, swing. Like you, you just don't see the same sort of like team principles that you see with, with Miami. Um, even though I, I feel like Spo, for example, like I think Spo, like how many rosters in, in, in the East, do you think Spo would have coached this exact same position? Because I think if you gave Spo the job in training camp with any other team in the Eastern Conference, I think I have him taking like four or five teams to this exact same position. Yeah, and I think like that's just like that's why also like we get lost. Right? People look at the teams in the East and they're like, oh, like they have this star player. They have so much talent. Like, oh, there's so much talent on these teams. Mm-hmm. And like you can have a lot of talent on these teams. But again, it comes down to like, and I'm not saying it's the coaches. It's just all on the coach. Um, Cause a lot of it is also the players. Like players just have to play good. Sure. Um, but like it becomes a mentality thing, right? Like if you're playing basketball, like if you get stuck in focusing on your own stats or your own numbers or, and you have players that are playing selfishly for themselves or not even selfishly, but just playing like lazy basketball. And like when they're in the play, they're, they're active when they're not a part of the play or mm. if they're a decoy in a play, they're just not, like doing anything else, like they just turn their brain off, then you're not going to succeed. Like there is no reason that you can like Philadelphia's roster has tons of talent. There's no reason why they shouldn't have, they couldn't have been in the Eastern Conference Finals. They should have been in the Eastern Conference Finals. Sure. Spoke could have coached them to the Eastern Conference Finals. That team could have gone and, to the finals. Yeah. But again, like you have players that didn't weren't consistent enough, weren't um didn't play well enough, maybe didn't like they weren't coached well enough. But I like you could look at a lot of rosters on in the, and this is why, like, again, the Heat are a play-in team that's going to potentially make the finals. And it's because in the Eastern Conference, you had a lot of teams that have, like, pretty equal talent. Like, maybe the individual talents might be higher on some teams than others. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Giannis Antetokounmpo obviously is more talented than basically any player on any roster, right? Mm-hmm. Jason Tatum, when he's, like, really hot, he's, like, he fluctuates from being, like, one of the most talented players in the East to being, like, you know, maybe a little bit more in like the middle range stars yeah. um, at their very best. Like you can, like Donovan Mitchell can have a hot night. Trey Young can have a hot night. Yeah. Um, and that's where like the Knicks, the Knicks were at a really well coached team that overplayed their talent, right? Like they're, sure. they might not have the best like top end talent, 
but they were able to mix, they were able to play with enough team concept to get themselves to, you know, pretty competitive in that Miami series. Like it wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, like Miami knew how to play, like they were smarter players, they were older players. They were able to get over the hump there and they had a little bit more top end talent, right? Jimmy Butler is just a better player, but mm. there's a lot of rosters that you can look at the East and that could probably make a similar run. At the end of the day, it just comes down to is like, are your players clicking at the right time? Are they playing good basketball? And like, it's, it's hard to like, again, like this gets stuck in intangibles, right? Like when people talk about, it's like, oh, this team just doesn't have chemistry or like that team just has the grit to get it done. Like heat culture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think really what it is is just like how professionally you take your job and like how, how much stick to your team has to like actually want to win. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the East has a lot of talent. I think, and that's how you could see like Chicago making that late season push. Sure. Like, yeah. If you look at Chicago's starting lineup, there's no like when they play their best basketball, it's not like they don't have a lot of talent. So again, and I would say the same for the Raptors, to be honest. I know that, that we got to get to the Raptors at some point in this podcast, but mm -hmm. the Raptors are another team where it's like after the trade deadline, you had Yaka Pertle, you saw that starting lineup perform really well. Um, at times, like they were look like world beaters at times, even in that Chicago playing game, they dominated for like a significant stretch of that, right? Listen, um, 100%, we should have just won that playing game. Like, yeah, I'm not saying that, sure. like, we, we missed 18 free throws in a game that was decided by one possession. And, yeah. like, I, I know it's like real painful. And for me, I don't personally want to revisit that game, but like, they played, they, they outplayed Chicago. And then they had like an act of God, essentially. That like, <laughs> I mean, I suppose I don't know if Deardorff Rosen is a god, but like, you know what I mean? Like, you win that basketball game. There's just no reason to miss 18 foul shots. But yeah. whatever, whatever. But I think like there, the there is a fair bit of parity, especially in the Eastern Conference. And I don't think it's just because, like, just because of the number beside your seating, or like. Mm -hmm. maybe what like the total of like what your record might look like for the season. I don't think that's specifically indicative of the quality of a team where you kind of have to look at a team and be like, all right, what do they look like when they play their best basketball? What does their roster look at the end of the season? Um, and how do I get the best basketball out of this team? Like there yeah. are certain lineups, there are certain five man lineups you can make on every team that you can be like, that's a lineup that can play in the Eastern conference finals. Right. Sure. sure. And it's kind of like, all right, well, if that's the lineup, what way do they have to play? And what supporting pieces do they need beside them? And I think that's kind of how you have to approach building a roster, especially in the East. Cause again, it's a, uh, it is a going to be a dogfight every single season. Like there's these rosters aren't going to significantly change every year. Um, I don't think in the East, like you're going to have three to four teams that are always going to be like very tight knit together that are all going to have a shot to go out in the first round or get to the Eastern conference finals. So um, I think it's important in the new like CBA structure and everything is to stay competitive and keep playing musical chairs until you can find the right mix. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think first off, this is probably one of the biggest reasons why there's so many coaching vacancies um, just because when there's a lot of parity, like, and, and you're not going to change your roster that much And even realistically, like you never see like entire teams blow up, you know, like how many teams are really going to hit the blow it up button th this off season, like maybe two, maybe three. You know what I mean? Like, but so because there's all that parity, you, you end up changing the coach. You, you see what happens. Obviously the Raptors are sort of firmly in that mix. And, you know, I mean, you can always break down this discussion into like, okay, do you have that like star player, that like elite player that, you know, without that, you can't, 
compete, right? And obviously in Toronto, we just call that Kawhi Leonard. Um, but like, realistically, I, I do think that there are, there were teams that were able to succeed this year, even in spite of some of that. Um, and I think that for the Raptors, the, that always has to be the question. That has to be the biggest question. How do we acquire that style of talent, whether that's we grow that style of talent or we trade for it? Obviously, we can't sign it because that's just not a, a path for us. But, you know, those two avenues, how do we develop a player into being that good? And how do we, um, you know, draft a player or trade for a player that that's going to be that good? But like. I mean, when you're watching these games, like, is that what you're thinking about? Like, are, are you thinking about like this team doesn't have like that super, super top tier superstar? Or do you feel like um, there are lots of top tier superstars, but, um, you know, maybe that level of cohesion around them isn't good enough? Uh, I think like, like, of course, there's a select like group of five guys in the league at any given time, which are just like a tier of their own, right? And they just make roster building easier. Okay. Who, who's but in that like, five for you right now? Just, just right curious. now, Jokic, uh, it's Jokic, it's Giannis. Uh-huh. Um, it's probably Luca. He makes roster building very simple. Sure. Um, is Steph still in that group? Yeah. Steph would be in that group. I think okay. still is in that group. Uh, I, I think having is Jimmy in that group. I mean, watching these playoffs, like, are you not, I don't know if Jimmy's in that group. I think I think the, the the issue is like if those are like like if like I'm listing these guys like if they're your number one guy, mm-hmm. then you can kind of just like build around them and you're gonna be a top seed in the regular season and get through through the playoffs, right? Like if you again sell out your entire franchise to have Kevin Durant as your best player, probably gonna have a rough some rough sledding during the regular season. Similar with like a Jimmy Butler, like Miami struggles in the regular season every year because Jimmy has to sit like. 25 games for maintenance, right? Mm. Um, like, those guys will be top guys in the playoff, come playoff time. But, like, again, like, those tier A superstar guys you can just trust the whole season through. I think it's, like, Jokic, Doncic, Giannis. Um, I have trouble putting Tatum trust, there. You Staff can trust NBA for all season at this point. Uh, for a regular season, sure. I yeah. don't I don't terribly love him postseason time. I don't think he's had a good postseason. Yeah, uh, no, you're like right. You can count on your hands how many good playoff games he's had. Uh, for me, like, it's like, you got to be top tier in the regular season, but then come playoff time, it's like, you have to be like, you have to be you, like, people can't, you can't be a weakness for your team. Like you can't mm-hmm. be a, sure. a stop. And that guy, basically it's like, I think I overvalue guys who can just be hubs for the entire offense from both like a scoring and a playmaking perspective. Where like, you're not going to see Luka Doncic make mistakes in a playoff game. You're not going to see, uh, like, that's what makes Jimmy Butler such a transcendent playoff like player, right? Because he has the scoring and the playmaking mm-hmm. where like you, you can trust every single decision he's going to make for 48 minutes if you want, right? So what made LeBron James so special? It's like, yeah, how do you, what do you do with LeBron? You can't, you double him. He's going to hit the perfect pass on you at the perfect time with the perfect speed. Um, and then single coverage, you annihilate you. Same with why you see Jokic just like, it felt like no matter what the Lakers did, they were just at Jokic's like whims. Like mm-hmm. he could, like he's taking on, he's switching between LeBron and AD guarding him who guarded him incredibly well mm-hmm. and he's still making whatever he wants happen. Right. Like it's at that point, it looks like almost like magic. So like, that is like the cut above superstars. Then you have a bunch of guys who can just be like, who can win you a game at any given rate. Right. Like you got your Tatum's, you got your KD's, you got your Devin Booker's, you got Jimmy Butler would be in that list. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that rank of guys, right. Even like a Donovan Mitchell. Like I think, even Harden, like, even Harden, did yeah, a even couple Harden times. right. Yeah. Where it's like, I think it's like, you've got your top five guys in the league that are just like at their peak physically and mentally. 
And then you have like 20 to 25 guys of like different values that are between like a B plus and an A, a but at any given night, they can like rise above to the top of that like mm-hmm. grouping. Right. And I think basketball has just become like the NBA just becomes so competitive. Like you have so many guys that can do so many things. They're so skilled. Where like the top 30 players in the league are incredibly talented. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So yeah. that's why like a lot of these teams have that guy. And you might not have the guy who can be like the absolute best guy every single night um, against anyone, but as long as you have a guy who can be the best night guy on like any given night, that's a solid starting point. Sure. And then it's about how your team plays basketball, right? What your basketball philosophy is, what other talents you surround them with. Mm-hmm. I think it's more important to have like as many good players as possible than it is to have the, the best player. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I I still think that fundamentally, like you you still need that sort of top five performer if you're gonna go all the way. And yeah. then you get into the discussion of like, okay, if you're not really competing, then why don't you just continue to shuffle your hand until you get aces, right? Um, yeah. if you're gonna use a poker analogy, like you know, it's like okay, it's not or maybe a blackjack analogy is more apt for this. Like you you're just gonna keep, you know, of uh, I guess like folding and stuff like that until you eventually get a like like blackjack and then you play like there that is sort of one approach towards team building i think it's pretty clear that like uh, look I, I'm, I'm seeing all the conversations that are happening online um they're not particularly fun to engage with uh personally but um i, I think it just kind of l- lacks the context of like how messiah's approach team building right you could look at what he's done in denver you could look at what he's done in toronto um he he hasn't ever tanked i mean the the tampa situation i don't, i'm not even counting because for the large part of that season, they actually weren't tanking. Um, and it took the whole entire team getting COVID, uh, which left them with Kyle Lowry, Norman Powell, and like literally seven guys from, you know, who weren't in the league the next year, um, playing for a whole month and losing for a whole month for them to actually pivot in that direction. And they only temporarily pivoted in that direction. And they got lucky in terms of moving up the draft. So other than that, like, and, which is super special circumstance. We've never really seen Masai tank in that way. Even in Denver, for example, you're thinking about Melo a lot recently because he just retired. That was Masai's first move in the league was was handling that that Melo trade. If you look at what he got back from Melo, it wasn't like, oh, he bottomed out. Like, yes, he cleaned the Knicks out, which is, you know, one of the reasons why Masai is such a, a really good executive is he's able to make these great trades. Um, and hopefully if the Raptors move in that direction, he's able to make great trades. But like, he got back guys who were competitive. He got guys who were immediately into Denver's rotation and made them quite frankly, a more successful team than Carmelo's teams in New York. Right. Like he got players who could actually play. Um, Like I think what he get Gallo Gallinari in that deal. Yeah. He became a big piece for them. Wilson Chandler, um, T- Timothy Mosgov was a rotation player for them. Like he got guys who actually stepped in and contributed for a winning program. So I, I suppose I'm, I'm I'm not really sure. Like, I'm I'm really not sure how the Raptors are going to get the top five player. Um, but I'm also pretty sure that the Raptors aren't trying to shuffle their way in there. If anything, I think you know all these discussions about Pascal. It's like okay, maybe you know you could hypothetically trade him to Portland and you trade him for like all these you know future parts or the number three pick or whatever, which is essentially like shuffling the deck. But I think Masai's way of operating is like he's probably thinking about how do I trade. You know, in this case, if you're going to trade for in Portland, like how do I trade Pascal into a Dame? You know what I mean? Yeah. And 
Yeah, if, if I had to guess the prediction of the team, like or direction of the team, that's the way they try to go more than anything else. But yeah, I'm curious to think, like, what, think- what are you thinking of in terms of the team building conversation around the team currently? And also, what do you think will actually happen given Masai's history? Yeah, I don't generally care for the conversation. I feel like a lot of times, like, pe- it's a lot easier for people to understand something if they're just like, oh, it's it's not working. Okay, then it's easier for me to engage with the team if it's just like, oh, they're just going to decide to be bad. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to have expectations or anything. Right now, it's just like, oh, the expectations are murky with the team, right? Because, like, you don't know whether they're they're not trying to outright compete for a championship. They're not trying to outright tank. So, it's like, well, why do we have these players? And it's like, well, you have to build from the middle. Like, there's no – like, I think the majority of teams in the league are somewhere within, like, you know, five games of, of each other, right? Like, the talent level isn't that – like, it's not that drastic. Um, it's a lot easier to say, oh, yeah, let's just scrap everything and start from the bottom up again, but I don't, there are not really any successful examples of franchises that do that. Um, And even if you do that, like you start, you start, like it's really tough to start with the superstar and build everything around him because like you just, you just automatically shot into contention and then everybody's saying like, Oh, everybody just got a clock on you. Right. Versus like when you're the other way where you're just trying to build a good team, then you can wait for the opportunity to strike on a superstar, right? Like Phoenix, was their team better before they traded for Kevin Durant? Their t- their ceiling, probably not. Mm-hmm. Their floor, probably yes. But because they were able to build up that entire, like use all those draft picks to build up and like have all those good players on the roster, um, even if they ran it back after they lost in the finals and then they didn't make it back the next season. It was like, oh, they should have traded DeAndre Ayton. Like, he's not part of the team. Now they signed him. They brought him back. Um, they're still, they still have questions there, obviously. But that team is probably closer to, like, one or two changes away from being a championship team. They were able to trade for Kevin Durant because they had all those pieces. Mm. And, like, for the Raptors, it should be obvious. Like, Masai kept a team in the We the North era that had, like, multiple failures in the playoffs. Yeah. And it was just like, all right, let's just slowly improve it, slowly improve it. There are valuable pieces on this roster. We're not going to trade players for less value because that's just what, why would I do that? There's no well, reason. He, that's why Masai is a revered executive is yeah. you look at his entire tenure. He hasn't made like value down trades. You know what I mean? I think maybe that's where recently people are a little more confused about like, okay, why did we trade for Thad? Even the portal yeah. thing, I actually think it's fair value. You, you might, in terms of just the deal itself, maybe the direction you don't like because you wanted to see shuffle rather than sort of continue to build. But, you know, that one I thought was actually fair in value just because once you re-sign Yaka Pertle, if you want to trade them, you can get exactly the same value of a first-round pickback. Plus, you've had that player now, right? But in, in the other case of that, that's one that's a little more confusing. But, like, yeah, as, as you mentioned, like in that time, it was like, how do we build up players, gain their value and eventually flip them into players that were better, right? Like yeah. you have the small scale of like Terrence Ross became Serge Ibaka. Like Serge Ibaka is such a better player than Terrence Ross. It's actually not even, it's so funny to me that that deal even got made, but that's the deal that he made. Or like uh, we, we we have Gravis Vasquez who was doing okay in like Sacramento or even um, uh, New Orleans before that, but came to Toronto, part of a winning program. You flip them to the Bucks, boom! All of a sudden, you got these draft picks, and then you develop them into you know pieces that now you can look at that are successful in the league, like Norm and OG. Or you look at the obviously the the big example was like Demar. When Masai inherited Demar, it was like, all right, he's just a guy. I mean, to be honest, people didn't even like 
his rookie scale extension, which was signed on, under Brian Colangelo, but it was like four yeah. years, 44 million. They flipped him into Kawhi Leonard. And I understand that the situations was very unique. I get that. But that that is essentially like his his way of moving. You know what I mean? Yeah, like these players, like again, like and like people, Raptor fans might have a bad taste in their mouth for watching Fred Van Vliet, or they might have a bad taste in their mouth for Gary Trent Jr. or whoever it might be, any of these free agents. But things like, well, they're free agents. If they walk for nothing, you don't want that. Um, they're valuable contributors on your team. Like you have won basketball games with them. You have seen large stretches of winning basketball played with this group. Like it's not like it's not like this group has proven that they cannot play winning basketball. Um they very much can play winning basketball. There is something to work with there. So it's like you sign them back. You sign them back to contracts that are still tradable. Like, again, there are so many suitors for Fred Van Vliet right now in free agency to think that if you re-signed him, that that contract would not have value. Like, even just maintaining a salary slot of 30-something million for you to be able to trade, that's what gets you in the conversation for when, like, a Jalen Brown becomes available like right now, why is Portland able to trade for them? Because they have Anthony Simons on a $23 million deal. Yeah, yeah. They're able to put together a package, right? Mm-hmm. Or like you need to have like even like Malcolm Brogdon. And the thing I look at with Fred Van Vliet is Fred Van Vliet, even if you decide, oh, he's not the best fit for the Raptors going forward, I don't agree with that. But say that's where your stance is. You sign him back. He's on a $30 million deal. You can trade him. You can, He becomes trade eligible in like three months. There are so many championship teams that want a Fred VanVleet on their team. Yeah, you tell me Phoenix won't Indiana, want Fred VanVleet Indiana like was in, like at that, the trade deadline if yeah, you wanted Fred's, to move. Fred's $30 million contract is effectively the same in the, under the new salary cap as Malcolm Brogdon's $22 million contract was. Malcolm Brogdon, you're able to get him traded. Boston's able to pick him up. That's a winning team that's able to pick him up. Now, Boston, other issues, but like mm-hmm. that's a good pickup for them, right? Derek White, another you know, hefty size contract, you're able to trade him for stuff from Boston, like real assets. So there are pathways, even if you sign a player back, like $30 million is not a back-breaking number for your cap sheet. Um, And also, like, again, I just don't agree with the fact that, oh, no, you can't, you got to let these guys walk. These guys need to be gone because you had, like, one down season or, like, you had, you watched some bad basketball. I think you need a new coach. They're already on the process of doing that. They're changing how they want to play basketball in Toronto. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But you keep as much talent as you can retain. Like, that's your off-season plan is first sign your free agents back so you have the assets and you keep talent that you already have on the roster on the roster. Then you can go and look to, all right, how can I maybe move this talent around for like what, like equal talent, same. So trade like for like talent, but different skills maybe, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe Gary Trent Jr., he's a very talented player but his skills don't really mesh well. Maybe you trade him for a player of similar talent, but more like better fitting skills, right? Sure. That's kind of what you want to do. So you fill your roster out correctly. Um, and at the end of the thing, like the last, the Raptors, the Raptors are in a good situation always because they have the ripcord of, Hey, one of your core pieces is this 21 year old player that the front office views as being a guy who is going to be an all-star level player who could potentially be an all NBA level player. Right. Mm. And if you are analyzing the team and their decisions from the basis that you believe Scotty Barnes is going to be a good player. Right. Cause if you don't believe Scotty Barnes is going to be a good player, then what are you doing? Right. Like then there's, there's yeah. no real point in having a discussion of building a team around him, whatever. But the front office believes he's going to be a good player. He's going to his third year. This is a, 
kind of a prove it year for him in terms of kind of prove that, you know, he is that level of player um, to take that level up. You already have that scaled in your growth. So you want to keep as much talent as you can on board before he gets expensive because the best way to compete in the league is having cheap young talent. That's like under contract. You have that with Scotty Barnes. You keep these other guys on board and you start mixing and matching the pieces. So Scotty Barnes is going to be better. You want the team to continue being better. You keep guys on board and then you can move them from there on. But you always have the ripcord of, Hey, if you get to the end of the season or you get to like the trade deadline, you're like, okay, Pascal Siakam's kind of topped out or like, this is the ceiling as a player. Like he's not going to like those highs that he showed in January and December. Those are actually unrealistic. He is more of like this, you know, average efficiency, below average efficiency star. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can't move him to a role that makes sense. Maybe $40 million for him is just at the end of the day, it's just going to be too much. Then you can pull the ripcord. You can always pull the ripcord on this team, even after signing these guys and just go younger. Yeah. Pascal and Fred would be at the top of that ripcord. And then you would likely keep OG Ananobi. If you expect to compete with Scotty Barnes in the next three years, I personally would bring back all your free agents See what moves you can make deadline time or once they become kind of trade eligible, see what you need on the bench. You have the 13th pick like your bench. If you bring everybody back, your bench is going to be Gary. You're going to have potentially Otto Porter Jr. Rejoining you for like 15 minutes a night. Um, Precious Achua is in a kind of prove it year. He's in the final year of his rookie deal, right? Since fourth year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's shown like sparks of talent. Uh, You have Chris Boucher and Thad Young who like are effectively trade bait um i wouldn't expect that young to be on the roster next season anyways but say chris boucher is still here you don't trade him mm-hmm. and then you have the number 13 pick you have a lottery pick coming in and then you have a guy in christian coloco who showed at the baseline to be an nba level defending backup big yeah um so there's a lot of talent there like you have a decent decent bench like you're building around so i don't think that this is that bad of a roster you're not in a bad situation you always have the rip court if you want to to go younger and then you just build around og and scotty um and the number number 13 pick whoever that ends up being so like i just don't i don't see the doom and gloom that everyone sees well I, I find that conversation like tough like i don't see the doom and gloom like yeah this season didn't end the way you wanted to but there's like ways forward <laughs> yeah no I, I just think for right now like especially for people who are like in this every single day, people who like wake up every morning and they check all of like Raptors Reddit or real GM or Raptors Twitter. And they're reading in their lunch breaks or their commute to work, uh, all the, you know, pieces that come out, obviously there's not much going on, but they read everything. They consume podcasts. They're probably consuming this one right now. It, it's like for people doing that, it's sort of just like, okay, how do I feel good with this sort of, part of my life for this interaction right and i think what's difficult about it right now is you can't really feel too good about anything that happened this past season so it, it's it's easier well not easier but it feels better to reject the entire notion rather than mm-hmm. to and rather than to sort of like break it down piece by piece because objectively like mm-hmm. there's not that much you can feel excited about like there wasn't that much developing that took place this past season right I, w- I would say some some players took steps forward like I think OG took a step forward I think Pascal even I saw a higher level from Pascal that I haven't seen in the past especially the way he started the season um 
but ultimately, like, I get it. Like, you know, we were excited for Gary. We were excited for Scotty. We were excited for Precious. None of those guys showed us anything consistently that we can hang our hat on, right? We also got treated to this kind of, like, pretty nasty style of basketball, especially offensively, that just made it, like, really nasty to watch, just period. So it's not like you could just sit around and be like, okay, well, they lost, but they looked good doing it. Like, you know, there, there, there just wasn't any of that. In fact, when they lost, it just felt like the end of the world each time. So I, I do feel like, I understand where that negativity comes from. And you know what? If you want to say that the whole negativity is so inherent to this group that I would blow up everything and I would just take the whole thing apart and try again. Like, I I don't disagree with you. Like, again, if you're going back to the blackjack example, you're probably sitting at the table with like 14, right? And you might just say, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to like, you know, hold and then move to the next. I don't play enough blackjack to really understand this analogy. But like, you know what I mean? It's not like you're sitting there with like, um, you know, a face card and, and you're feeling pretty excited about the whole situation or you're sitting there with an ace and you're feeling pretty excited about the whole situation. Like there, there also isn't nothing like that specifically that you can hang your hat on. And so I think if you rebuild and you have a situation where you give Scotty so many possessions that you make it look like he's progressed as a player, even if he necessarily hasn't progressed in the, in that specific way, you've just given him a lot more possessions by tearing everything down. At least people can sort of buy into that notion because it's like, that's a plan. I'm okay with it because we're intentionally trying to lose. So then I can embrace the product again. But I, I don't know. I, I think that that really comes down to sort of a genuinely how you feel about the core of the team. And I'm not saying that it's right or wrong to continue building on it. But I think the other part too, is just like, you kind of have to get to a point where you, you as a fan are kind of okay with like in a day-to-day basis, like what's going on with the group. You know what I mean? I'm not saying you have to accept it. I'm just saying that like, you have to find a way to just live your life with as a, as a Raptor fan, right? You can't just say, I w- I hate everything. I want to throw everything away. And I'm going to com- continue just like yelling at everybody until, until it happens. Like you're just, it's going to lead to a very miserable experience. And I, I think most likely it's not even going to happen just based on what I think Masai's op- you know, modus of operating is in general, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and um, I think, like, again, you have to just think a timeline, right? Like, your core pieces in on your team are still so young, where, like, even, like, the elder guys on the team are not old. Like, if, like, you're saying, oh, well, what's the, like, Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet are, like, the, like, the oldest players you have money tied to, like, real money tied to, like, your, in your core. Those guys are not old. They're at, like, the beginning, like, the early parts of their primes. Mm-hmm. So it's, like why what like what is the like sense of urgency right like you can kind of sit on this and let it play out like none of these guys are getting crazy crazy expensive yet right um and people are going oh what if you you bring everybody back like how are you going to duck the luxury tax i'm sure the raptors are going to be able to avoid the luxury tax some way somehow um and even if they do pay luxury tax one year i think they can kind of dip into it and get out dip into it get out um so it's not nearly the end of the world either um but again like you're you should not be looking at this team as being a finished product like in terms of even the players like these are what you want to look for and again even with rebuilding teams is you want to look for stretches of good basketball nobody can tell me that in houston they have played any sense of any stretches of good basketball over two years like they can rip it down to the studs you can have give all of your young guys as many possessions as you want Mm -hmm. but they're playing garbage basketball there that's not productive basketball but they're playing down there sure yeah right like even like okc like until like basically shea gilders alexander by like the basis of his talent forced them to play real lineups this season (laughs) 
<laughs> like yeah. they played just stretches of completely useless basketball where all they're doing is just like a bunch of players playing in like summer league possessions for like large NBA minutes. Mm-hmm. Like how is that useful for anyone's development? So I think it does matter to keep a competitive roster around like someone that you're developing and building in Scotty Barnes. And I think it also matters that he's not just like handed over the keys that he has to actually earn it with like, you know, developing his skill set, developing his talents, like for Scotty Barnes. And I don't think that it's also a fair analysis to say that, Oh, these other players are blocking Scotty's usage because Nick nurse is head coach from day one said that he wants Scotty to be as aggressive as possible every single game, like literally the first game that Scotty Barnes played as a Raptor, Nick Nurse, what do you say after? He's like, I think Scotty can be even more aggressive. Yeah, I think he can be more aggressive. And that aggression has been a big thing. And something that we noticed this season, especially was that that activity level and that aggression and that like ability to be dialed in. It, just ca- it, it came and went. Yeah. Came and went constantly. Like for entire stretches of quarters, Scotty just would not be, and I'm not saying engaged, but just like not active on the court. Like he wasn't even like, like he wouldn't be making active cuts through the lane, um, especially off ball. Um, even sometimes when he'd be on ball and leading a bench unit, he'd be stopping like 30 feet out and looking for like a one pass home run. And it's, but then you would see stretches of games where he would just take over for eight minutes just with his activity where he's getting a rebound, getting a block, getting a steal, going the other way, making the right pass, setting a good screen mm-hmm. and rolling hard. Like this is all stuff that you don't even need to dominate the ball for. And like, he's so talented, like his natural abilities are so great that when he's active on the floor he just raises the entire floor of the entire team around him and everybody else's skill set but like that's what you have to see and i think the biggest thing that came out of like the end end of season pressers was scotty tried to scope it in as like to help with his defense was to improve his fitness but i think like realistically like what you saw this season was like his fitness was just not up to par um for what it needed to be to play the amount of minutes he was doing to be active throughout all those minutes. And Scotty plays significantly less minutes than the other starters in terms of like, like when you actually look at the average, I think he ends up at what 34 minutes this season compared to like Fred and Pascal were at 37, 37 OG at like a 36. Yeah. 34, um, 34.8. Yeah. Yeah. 34.8. Right. Last season it was about 32. Mm-hmm. So again, like for him to be the number one guy, use all that usage. He also needs to get his fitness to that level. And I think, that's where you get Masai preaching heat Masai out of his pressure. Like, again, he's never going to actually tell you anything, but like, I like to think about the things that he like brings up a lot. Mm. So like with Scotty, he framed everything as him being young, him being mm-hmm. 21, 21, 21 maturity, maturity. Yeah. He's going to mature. He's going to mature. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's a young team. He's going to mature. And that's where it is. It's like, okay. And Masai expects him to come out this, that that was a last summer issue and he's going to have a good summer. He's going to come back. I would like to see if I expect Scotty Barnes to, you know, take this summer professionally um, and come back next season, not just as, oh, the reigning rookie of the year, but, hey, I have something to prove again as a player. I need to make my mark on the league. Show it with your fitness. Show it with your um, your um, focus and, like, be a dog out there in every game that matters, not just, you know, the minutes where you feel like you want to turn it on or where you – Found the energy. Sure. Like one of the if, things if you're going to be a number one guy, like that, be that, that literally cannot be co- inconsistent. So and that's, that's the, that's the, and goal, that's the right? same message that yeah. Masai gave Pascal before, where Pascal was like, well, I don't know if I'm the number one. And the message that was delivered to him was like, hey, we're paying you the money. Go be the number one guy. Like, if you're going to be the number one guy, go be the number one guy. And like, you don't have to tell Luka Doncic to take over a game. 
You don't have sure. to tell Giannis Antetokounmpo to take over a game, right? Like Jimmy Butler takes over a game regardless of whether Bam Adebayo is getting position, possessions, right? Yeah. Jalen Brown will take over a game even if he shouldn't be taking over a game. Like at the end of the day, like you can take over games and the players on this team, like we have seen games where the Raptors have won where Scotty scored 30 points. Or we've seen games where Scotty's touching every single possession down the stretch. I don't think this team has that type of ego problem where Scotty's having a good game that he's not going to get the ball. Mm-hmm. Nobody's, nobody's, everybody on this team, especially the older players, they just want to win the game. And Scotty Barnes, when he's dialed in playing good basketball, is the easiest way to win a game. So this idea that like all the players are like sabotaging him or like they're trying to like, they're, they're blocking his usage. That's a ridiculous thing. The guy's starting, he's playing 30 plus minutes. His usage rate is pretty damn high that he has his opportunities. It's a matter of like, Hey, bring your efficiencies up. Don't be one of the worst volume mid-range shooters in the entire league. Um, you know, be active off the ball. The really use, like use your skills and, that's something where, like, I think we all know that he's capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. You've seen in the stretches he takes over, he looks transcendent. So this team, at the end of the day, the Raptors go, like, the Raptors' floor and their ceiling is going to be based on what, how consistent Scotty Barnes is and what level he's able to take himself to. And I think the talent's there, and I think he can be really good. A lot of the Raptors' issues can be papered over by Scotty Barnes playing well. Like in the middle of the season when the Raptors started playing better basketball is because Scotty Barnes bought into being a small ball five for like those five to 10 games. Mm-hmm. And they started playing really good basketball with Scotty at the five. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. First off, I actually really appreciate that. We're actually having a, a conversation about Scotty. I, I did feel like maybe just over the course of the season. And this is something where I was reflecting on like just even my coverage. And it was just like, maybe I'm avoiding this just, because it, the conversation became too polarized, you know, it was like too hyper critical or like too hyper protective. And like at the end of the day, we just didn't actually talk about this player who is arguably the most important player in the whole franchise right now. Um, maybe not in terms of like the production currently, but long term and things like that. Um, and yeah, I think having seen the second season, like, you know, we can sort of see like where the gaps are and sort of how he's going to fill those i i think you you in, in terms of just like what you're saying here is is very important i also think that like there are other things that the team could have done to help him right like yeah you could you could add more shooting by the way you can add more shooting to help anybody to be honest although to be to be frank like i think you also want to find a way to get him to be more consistently involved and more consistently attacking is that play design is that for 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 him like is that sort of the intent and even just the the endurance and the energy which you typically can't really see when you're just watching the game but obviously when you're playing the game if you're consistently the initiator like you know, um, you know, what decisions you make in terms of are you able to attack over and over again? I, I didn't even think it was necessarily like he didn't see the ball. Like I, I'm looking at touches for the last this past season, right? Touches per game. Like how often literally do you touch the ball? And Scotty Barnes came in at 71.1 touches per game. The it's it's he's tied with Joel Embiid. And he's got two less touches than Shea Gilch's Alexander. There's Anthony Edwards also at 71. There's Paul George at 69. Anthony Davis at 68. You know, Bradley Beal, 68. You know, Donovan Mitchell, 60, 68. Like, I actually don't think that it was a case where he didn't touch the ball enough. I, I, I do think that it's just for a younger player, like finding ways to sort of be aggressive. And I think for him, like, 
you know, there are other skill sets that need to be developed as well. I mean, realistically, he's he's a wing player, so he's going to need to improve the jump shot. Now, that's no surprise to anybody, especially even just watching him in high school or college. You know, coming into the draft, we knew exactly what we were going to get with him. Um, but that aspect of the game is going to improve. I think that he puts in time there. You know, over time, it will show improvement in terms of the shooting. But I, I didn't think he was not involved, but necessarily by the team. I, I do think it was more finding ways for himself to consistently you know impose on the game and if there's a natural learning curve to that i'm not too surprised like he's not coming into the league like a mellow like a d wade like a lebron with all the skill set already sort of pre-packaged you know i I don't see him that kind of as that kind of player yet and i don't want this to come off as like being like hypercritical i was like oh you expect the second year no no we're actually just having the the first like you know real conversation about scotty that uh, that we've had all season to be honest because again you want to match a terrible topic you want to match your team expectations with like where the minutes, like if you're giving a second year player 34 minutes a night, significant usage, a ton of touches, then like you got to eat the development lumps. Like the plays, the games that Scotty doesn't show up or, you know, doesn't play as well or his energy isn't there, or he doesn't have the skills developed yet to perfectly like to be able to affect possessions or he's wasting possessions or he might have silly turnovers. Those are development lumps you take within the scope of the season but isn't it better that he's in those competitive situations and then taking those development lumps versus like him being in a situation where there's no accountability and they're just losing all the time. Yeah. I think it's good that he's in competitive. And like, again, it's like, well, why the Raptors always lose these close games? Well, yeah, they're going to lose close games because there's like at least five to 10 possessions every game, which are being lost to like development mistakes, right? Whether it's Precious Achua making those development mistakes, whether it's, Scotty Barnes making those development mistakes, whether it's even like say an OG Ananobi making those development mistakes. Sure. Yeah. Um, like with some of the dribble drive stuff he was doing earlier in the season, right? Mm. And like in isolation, those one mis- that one mistake here or there is not going to matter. But over the course of a game, like it comes down to a one or two possession game, and you've burned five or ten possessions that like it would have made more sense maybe if a more experienced player or if a player approached it better, right? If it was a better player approaching it or a more uh mature player approaching it but like those are the lumps you take so now can scotty barnes make his lows higher and make his level more consistent next season suddenly the raptors are a way better team Mm -hmm. is precious achua able to find some sort of consistency and make his lows a little bit higher and eke out a little bit of those mistakes that brings up the floor of your team right and that's where like, Hey, these one to two possession games that you're constantly losing become one to two possession games that you're constantly winning. Right. Like it's not like the Raptors got blown out all the time this season. Like, yeah, you had so many games that were just like flip-flop. Like they came down to one possession, two possessions here and there. Right. Which shows you like this team's capable of playing good basketball for like a good stretch of the game. And then, it's just those like little winning habits. And like you see the Miami Heat have that because they have a lot of older players, a lot of players that have been through the fire a few times that have played in so many clutch situations. They know what the right move, the right play they need to make for themselves and their teammate. Like Jimmy Butler is a 35 year old player, 34, 35. I don't remember how old Jimmy is. I think he's like mid thirties, right? Mm-hmm. Kyle Lowry is like late thirties playing big man's for them. And then you have Bam Adebayo, who's like in his super experience at this point, man. like super experienced mid yep. to like mid twenties, right? But Bam's been basically since he came into the league, been playing playoff crucible minutes or close to like playoff minutes every single season. 
And that's how he's able to be a really good player at 25, 26. We saw that like Pascal Siakam, Norm Powell, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi. These are all players who had to earn their minutes. Like OG kind of got dumped in the starting lineup, but like even then, like these are players that earned their minutes with their talent and then played really important minutes, even when they weren't like perfect players or good players. Mm. And now you see them that they're able to make the right decisions in key situations. You're able to kind of count on them. Yeah. I mean, th- that's where I would push back just because I'm like, you know, I, I don't always feel like they're getting the best shot for the team. And maybe that's where it's like, okay, when it really comes down to crunch time, like, do you see that yeah. next level separation talent that Pascal gets you a bucket each time or Fred gets you a bucket each time? I'd say absolutely not. Right. No, and I think yeah. that's where the missing element is. In addition to all the other aspects you mentioned in terms of the execution and, and the experience, but I don't know. It, it's also there, there. It is. I think if you're the front office, you probably are, are scratching your head just a little bit, right? Like you look at yeah. this past season in terms of like, uh, th- their record in, in games where they they hit the clutch time um, criteria, which is a game within five points, upper plus or minus five points in the last five minutes, the Raptors hit that criteria um, forty four times this season. Right, um, they were nineteen and twenty five in the in 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 those games. Right, and and honestly, that was probably the difference between them being in the play in versus being in the playoffs. Right, and then you look at this team last year where they were in 45 games to hit the crunch, crunch time uh, scenario, they're at 26 wins and 19 losses. So like pretty much the exact opposite of that record. And you might, you look at like last season versus this season, like th- it's explainable in large part, just based on last season, they executed well in, in, in crunch time and they were able to complete a lot of these comebacks or they were able to hold on to more of their leads. And this year they did the exact opposite and, and made us feel horrible about the team. It's still the same guys. It's probably still the same talent level, but all of a sudden the results are flipped. So what do you really say about the group? I, I don't really know. I mean, look, all, we can also say all this, you know, I, I still don't think they have all the ingredients to make a contender right now. And I think maybe when people are hearing this and people who are interested in essentially rebuilding the whole thing, they're probably like, why are we wasting this whole thing? Or why are we talking in circles? Why can't we just rebuild? Again, I don't think that that's a necessarily a bad position to take in this position. I just don't, I just don't even think that that's how the front office is approaching this. Because again, I, I need to see a track record of that from the front office, or at least I need to see a change from the front office in terms of who's actually running the show. But absent of that, I'm I'm thinking they're going to continue going down the same path that they've been trying to go on. And that's where you look at all these tweaks. How do you improve these guys? And then eventually, how do you make trades that bring in you know the next superstar level talent and hopefully you have the right infrastructure around them to capitalize and make that push. But I don't know. I mean, that that's sort of where my head's at in terms of with the roster, but it's, it's yeah. weird because you can't really have this kind of like nuance, even just like non-emotional discussion about the team online right now. Like there's just, yeah. it's just, it's just pure negativity all the time. Cause everyone's just kind of like losing is this team lost. And so if I reject this team, that means that I I'm closer to winning, even though we're all just kind of losing in this scenario. Do you know what I mean? And like, and again, like when you go back to team building again, it's like, yes, a lot of these players that are top picks end up becoming superstars. Sure. But like, again, Jimmy Butler, Nikola Jokic, not topics at all. Um, Jimmy Butler, how did the heat get them? They got them through a sign and trade because they had similar salaries that they were able to I mean, come on, Jimmy wanted to go there. Yeah, that's fair. But they needed to, they, they were, they were a competitive. the, The reason that they were able to be competitive with Jimmy is because they had enough pieces on the roster already. 
and that they were able to acquire him by okay. a sign and yeah. trade fair, versus fair, fair. having to open up cap space to get him right in the same way like why is phoenix able to get kevin durant is because they had a competitive team but then they had enough salaries and assets to be able to make that trade to get him nikola Jokic is a 41st pick 46 pick whichever one right you look mm-hmm. into him but then you look at aaron gordon aaron gordon's contract in orlando was seems like that's crazy overpay but to a championship team that's able to acquire him by trading like like size contracts yeah, they, what, again, they suddenly like Gary it's like, Harris I, and like two picks or one yeah. pick or something like that. And yeah. it's like, oh, like Gary Harris is like, might have been like an overpaid shooting guard at the time based on his, he was an overpaid shooting guard based on his production at the time and his injury history. But then you're able to turn him into a player that is like, that fits with your team better or solves a problem for your team, right? So again, a lot of like the, a lot of contenders are made through trade rather than draft. And I think, approaching everything through draft like a starting point have to be has to be the draft is just like it's i think it's a fallacy really like i don't think it's actually how you approach things like lottery picks like having the 13th pick this season is great i think that's like you can expect to pick somebody who can be in your rotation and shore up your bench right and that's a young player that's cost control you don't always have to start every team build by all right rip it to the studs let me get a first round pick like if your players are aging out sure but your roster isn't aging out so why would you do that uh which is again what i come back to on like that type of like extreme argument that comes up but again i think a lot of it's like hey retain these players scotty barnes gonna keep getting better you play around that and then you make opportunistic team trades to make your team better as you move forward um rather than making trade down there's no point in doing a trade down unless you're forced to um and yeah I mean, okay, so if if we're essentially agreeing that we're kind of going down this middle path and maybe yeah. we're not seeing a superstar trade or even like a big blockbuster trade this offseason, like I still want to see some kind of way where if you're going to continue with this group, like can we balance it out with more guards, you know, like guards with talent? Um, because I, I just feel like, I don't know, I'm not expecting this guard maybe even to be a starting level guard but just like finding somebody in the roster well, who, are the, who can shoot who are a little the guards, bit who can penetrate who the a guards little bit, on the good teams the heat are filled with guards that they got undrafted they developed them the yeah, nuggets okay. have K- uh kcp and bruce brown well they, they have like a cheat code guards. they have the Jokic can yeah. be the guard right yeah and of course they but, also have jamal who obviously has been phenomenal yeah, which jamal, is man. which is fine like but like in terms of like their supporting guards like again for the raptors it's like you're going to have a lot of your usage go through two playmaking wings and Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam. So what you need is support guards, right? And like Gary Trent Jr., a great catch and shoot guard, but he does nothing off the dribble and he doesn't, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't really move. Play. He doesn't that's, move. That's the He's part not that a I'm motion like, shooter. Yeah. Um, also the thing is like the one. ball dies with him, right? Like the, yeah. the ball goes to him. He's not making quick decisions, which is something like a buddy healed who might be an sure. available guard. 23 million dollar range 24 million dollar range be an incredible fit on a team that's you know wants to be a bit more competitive mm, right like yeah, Derek white fair. is another you know like that wing guard like the reason when the Celtics play best is when Derek white and Malcolm Brogdon are getting downhill for them yeah and like that is the type of player that I want the Raptors to kind of target um and if like if you're able to get Gary back that would be the type of player I would try to trade for is swap him for a player that can shoot the three well enough but can get you downhill can give you a little bit of downhill spunk or give you at least some movement shooting, Mm. like something that adds more of a dynamic flair to your shooter rather than just being like a stationary shooter. Would you trade them for, for Bayan Bogdanovich right now? Um, Or Bogdan, 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 sorry. 
Which one? Uh, that's the, the, the Atlanta one. one. The Atlanta one. Um, I have a couple of injury concerns with him. Okay, fair. I think he's. I think he's a. He he'd be a great option. I I wouldn't be against it. I think the Raptors would get plus in that deal. I think it would probably be bogged in something else for Gary because just. I mean, he's thirty. On, yeah. Yeah. Versus Gary, who's like twenty four. But like, I don't know. Like, even if you. Um, also, why can't you just convince yeah. Gary or or change his role to like? Yeah, like, like it's twenty three year old, twenty four year old. Like, there's still room for him to be able to change the way he plays and sure. like yeah. play a little bit more to his skill set. Because like again, Gary Trent Jr. Like, how many good teams is he going to start for in this league? Realistically, I mean, it depends. And his current level, probably not that many. But I do think that like there are a couple of things you can add to his game or maybe even just find a role for him where he becomes more dynamic. And it's like, not out like, you, I mean, like Quentin Grimes was like starting for, you know, yeah. or like Isaac Okoro was starting for like Cleveland. Like, you know, like the, there's opportunities for Gary to be better than some of those players, but yeah. Yeah. But like, it's like a small step up. Right. But like, if you look at like, even like someone like Austin Reeves, like Austin Reeves is a sure, much yeah. more useful winning player than Gary Trent Jr. Is right now. Oh yeah. Well, Austin um, Reeves with that Laker whistle was crazy. man. Yeah. I like even outside the whistle, like yeah, Austin no, but he's very good at drawing contact. Floor, he's very right? good at like, that. Yeah, there, there are things that again, when I look at Gary, it's like, yeah, you're able to hit this crazy step back jump shot. You have like these like dribble moves that you can break out into like a sidestep jumper. But like, how does that actually come out in the game? It just becomes like four people watching you kind of go one on one in any possession, or you take a standstill jumper. Like outside of his catch and shoot offense, what part of Gary Trent Jr.'s game is really that efficient? Yeah. And if like the only thing that your $20 million shooting guard is giving you is catch and shoot jump shots, maybe that $20 million can be spent better or allocated better amongst players. Right. And, but here's the thing though. Like if, if this was in Miami and they, they had Gary Trent on their roster, this guy would be a movement shooter. This guy would handle in, in, in some dribble handoffs, some pick and rolls. Um, and he will play within a team concept. Like you, like honestly, sometimes I watch Max Struess, for example, and I, yeah. I, I think Gary's definitely a better player than Max Struess, but the way they use Max Struess and the way they leverage Max Struess, all of a sudden he feels much more dynamic than Gary, even though I know talent-wise, one for one, Gary has more talent than Max Struess. You know what I mean? But like they've drilled in him to take charges, for example, and that's part of his defensive value. Like, there's no reason why you can't drill Gary to take charges. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you could draw any player to take charges, really. Um, but like, you know, these other skills about moving without the ball, like, you know, playing sort of more team concept basketball than one-on-one basketball. Like, I think that's where bringing a new coach, like unlocks different levels for and the I players. Think and there's no guarantee, be the but biggest thing this that's the hope at least. Right. And I, that's probably the biggest thing this off season. I also like, I find that like, there's all this negativity behind whoever the Raptors interview. And like, I'm just like, Hey, you don't know how these interviews are. You don't know anything about any of these coaches really outside of the ones that have been in the league before. And even then you barely know anything about it. Cause in a coaching situation, you don't even know, like, even like, even I'm not, a, I'm not saying I want Steve Nash as a coach of the team, but like, I have no opinion of Steve Nash as a coach. Cause I have no idea what the Nets were doing those years. Yeah. Cause like when you have a superstar team, it's just like, well, like your I don't coach know, man. It, it felt like manager. the whole team stomped all over him. So <laughs> for me personally, I was like, all right, I, I, also, need, I need somebody look, who can get stomped on. But like at the same state, like a Monty Williams isn't like someone who excites me as a coach from like an X and O standpoint. Mm. Um, and but like again, I don't know. Like maybe um, he's limited in what he can do with a Chris Paul led team versus what he might be able to do in a different situation. Yeah. Uh, but then again, like I personally care more about. I feel like the Raptors are going to end up picking a coach that makes sense for the team. I 
Like, I don't have any reason for thinking the front office isn't going to make the best decision that's available to them. Um, I'm not going to know better than them what coach to pick. So I'll just wait for them to announce a coach and then move from there. But I think we're all in agreement that we want a coach that, you know, is able to be like for all of Nick nurse's faults. When Nick was at his best, it was because he was a creative coach. He was dynamic. He was open to change, like in terms of what he was doing in any given series. Um, But then the things that he would fall short in are like, you know, fairly, you know, combative to deal with, Um, you know, not exactly like, I, I don't know what his relationships with the players are, but I didn't see a single player put out a post saying uh, goodbye, Nick nurse mm. uh, or thanking him for the five years of the championship that he won here. So that's interesting. Um, so I think like whichever coach they bring, I would love to see, like there's so many good teams that have like so many teams that are hiring young coaches, like Will Hardy in Utah, Utah plays like a real offense, a real defense. Uh, and he seems like an active coach. Mm-hmm. And all um, of a sudden, all those players on Utah feel much more valuable. Yeah, because you know you're mean? able like, to find use for them. And that's the goal, ultimately, right? Like, you just – not only do you need your coach to, like, put yourself in the winning positions and have good access and all that kind of stuff, but, like, if you can foster, like, an environment when you're serious about playing basketball and that you have the trust of the players – to allow themselves to get coached so that they trust that they're in the best positions possible for themselves and also for the team, you win. And all of a sudden, all the players look better. Like, I'm, I, like look, look at Laurie Markkinen's value. If you were to trade for Laurie Markkinen right now, it would cost a whole lot more than what it cost in the offseason where he was, I wouldn't say he was a throw-in to the Donovan Mitchell trade, but that wasn't even the headline portion of when they traded for him in that, in, in that Donovan Mitchell trade. You know what I mean? Like, so that's a player who was already on two franchises before that. Now, and all of a sudden you look at him now, it's like, wow, if you wanted to trade for Laurie Markin, you probably have to give up like three picks and two swaps and all that kind of stuff. Like he's probably got maybe not Donovan Mitchell level value, but like 80% of that value. Yeah. And and like the, if you, the whole reason that whole thing happened was obviously a, he got put in a new system, but B like you got it put in the position where the coaching really did matter. And you got the most out of the player. Yeah. Like so, if you look at the Pascal Siakam in January, I think any team in the league would have thrown like everything they had to trade for that guy if that was the guy they were getting that January Pascal sure, versus yeah. what you get the Pascal at the end of the season, who's been run down playing 37 minutes a night, looks exhausted out there. Can't even get past his first man um, steps a ton slower. His handles a lot looser. That player is it. So like the coach also like how a coach manages these players over time, um, how he's able to kind of put them in a situation to make them look also changes like what their trade value is. What you were just saying with Laurie marketing. Like if Pascal Siakam comes back next season, he's playing 34 minutes a night and now his efficiency is all up like two, 3% across the board. He suddenly looks like a world beater again. Cause you're only seeing him play fresh minutes or where he's not fully ragged. Yeah. So maybe that player has much more trade value versus the guy that you're seeing right now is like, Oh, this guy's playing the most minutes in the league. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Like it's not even like Pascal Siakam's playing a lot of minutes. He's playing the most minutes in the league. Like it's like it's, and not it's even like high that, usage minutes too. It's, yeah. yeah, it's not even like you're in the high end of it. It's high usage and hard minutes because it's like you're playing hard defense, and then on offense, it's not even like you're running like getting easy stuff done on offense. You're mismatch hunting for like a majority of the possessions. Yeah, like very difficult offense. So um, I think there is a lot that uh, new coaching can help this team with. I think there's a lot of like built-in talent that can be um, deployed differently. Um, and I do think there need like the Raptors probably need more smaller changes, um, and then evaluation yeah. through the season than it is just like, Hey, let's clear out three fourths of our starting lineup 
Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not, I, I'm not even opposed to like the shuffle technique. Like, I really, yeah. I'm cool with like if they rebuild. I just don't think that this front office is going to rebuild. Yeah, you know, like that's just not how who they are. Like, you would need to change out the front office if that's sort of what you want. So, I don't want to repeat that again. But like, yeah. that's sort of the way I'm feeling about that. And in terms of the smaller changes, like, yeah, for example, next season, I'm thinking your bench. You probably only need two bigs off the bench, and ideally, it'd be like Precious and christian right assuming christian takes another step forward christian's minutes are also fine this year there's obviously like huge limitations to this game currently offensively but on the whole he was actually a positive i, I don't mind seeing more from christian i think he's a hard-working player as well I, I do expect him to sort of level up a little bit precious you know this year i definitely you know you and i and the dms have complained about precious pretty much every game that we saw this season but you know i think there we can all agree that there is a lot of talent at least on that uh in in, in that player those two, I mean, if that was the case, you probably try to swap out like Chris and turn him into like a third guard if you can possibly do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. The team kind of as is is just they, they like ball handling, they need more shooting, but more than anything else, like I think you need more of a cohesive system where um maybe extend out the rotation just a little bit so that more players feel involved find ways to sort of actively sort of work off of each other and if you re-sign these players then you have to sort of sell them on an idea where it's like okay we're going to put you in a better position to succeed even though this is the same group and i'm Um, really excited for that number 13 pick because like if you can get okay like there's a lot of guards in that range if you can get a guard who can come in i'd love a guard and give you like 15 minutes a night of like like dynamic play right that's where suddenly like now the roster looks a little different like Gary and Will Barton together were interesting offensively, albeit none of them hit shots enough to really matter. But like, it's like, Hey, if you could put Gary beside a ball handling guard who has some speed to him, has some downhill to him mm-hmm. then suddenly, Hey, maybe that bench lineup makes a lot more sense. Sure. Like, yeah, for sure. Makes, I mean, it's a lot easier, right? Like that like, is even, even hy- hypothetically, you turn him to like Spencer Dinwiddie, which, you know, we'll probably need a little bit more from the Raptors side to, turn Chris Boucher into Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm not even saying I like Spencer Dinwiddie all that much as a player, but in terms of what Spencer can do with a bench group, that would all of a sudden make the Raptors look a lot more deep and you would have a lot less of a burden where you have to overplay your starters. Um, and that's just Spencer Dinwiddie, who again, I don't even rate that highly, but you know, that, that idea. And again, like that's, if you were going to stick with this group and try to make marginal improvements, which honestly, I think that's what they're going to do. That's what they, you know, that's the direction. On the flip side, you could just say, well, I could blow up everything. And on that front, I'm not even sure. Like, who do you even keep in that scenario aside from Scotty? Like, I, I would know. probably start with, you know, finding a deal, like get Siakam's value high enough to get, like, try to get the best you can get for Pascal. Sure. Um, yeah. You bring Fred back and trade him at some point. Um, and then you just kind of like live with OG and Scotty because you can easily pass OG more usage at that point he's 25 so like you hold him until he's 28 29 on that extension anyways you and um, i disagree on the og like more usage thing because i i really do feel like he's i kind i of... don't i i don't i don't think like i like my thing is that in both of the last two seasons pascal siakam sat out and after one or two games og and obi looked fine with additional usage okay yeah i agree he does settle. Uh, he like, does take a little bit of time to settle in but yeah, once he like, does he's okay he has limitations i agree like as a ball handler he definitely has right limitations but there are like legitimate parts of his game that once he starts being able to deploy it regularly once his usage is kind of normalizing he's touching the ball one or two two three four possessions in a row um he starts processing the game pretty well um especially later in the season he started really showing off kind of a 
like a mid-range game a little bit, mm. uh, which was pretty interesting. Um, I found that once his jump shot, like once his three-point shot kind of returned to him, his hands kind of normalized, he suddenly was able to find a lot of uh, a lot of gaps to attack from. I'm never, I'm not saying OG Ananobi is going to be a number one option on any team. Mm. What I'm saying is that like, can he take on a bit more usage? A hundred percent, I think he can, and I think he's shown it in spurts when Pascal's been out each okay. of the last two seasons. Yeah. So um, I'm not saying that team's going to win 50 games, but I also think that a 25 year old OG Ananobi isn't going to lead you to lead you to 50 games, but maybe a 27 year old OG Ananobi who's had two seasons of that might be able to develop into a player that can be like your core guy. Yeah, that's um, But that's where I'm thinking, like, if you were to say, hey, let's get rid of these older guys, strip down, and build around those guys, I could see that. I don't know if the Raptors are right there just yet. But, again, uh, you don't know because Fred VanVleet's free agency could go in any direction. Yeah, and by I the way, we're if, just assuming that Fred's going to come back or because yeah. we're not if really Fred's even trying Because if I'm Fred, this is my last, like, really, like, contract I can guarantee is going to be big money in my prime with my health. Um, do you really want to be in a situation where you don't know what the competitiveness is going to be the next four years you, that they might just trade you in like six months, mm -hmm. or do you want to be able to pick your location? Like if he's able to go to an Orlando, which has, you know, a number one pick and a number six pick who's doing really well. Um, they seem to have like some semblance of a roster that's on the come up mm -hmm. and can like cover up his shortcomings and are 100% not going to trade him for the life of his contract. And he can get his numbers. Seems like a decent situation. If he's able to go to a contender where he's like, I get to be in the playoffs guaranteed. Mm -hmm. um, and even if they trade me in a year or two, like that is what it is, but at least I'm contending. Mm -hmm. Like that might be more appealing to him than saying, okay, yeah, I'll come back to Toronto. But then, oh, um, they trade me in three months. And now it's a weird, like, that's the thing. Do you want to be stuck like Serge Ibaka in Orlando for like a year playing lifeless basketball or Eric Gordon being re-signed in Houston, just like wasting two years of his career there? Like you're making good money, but what type of basketball are you playing? They really held him hostage in Houston. Yeah, the Eric so Gordon like, in Houston was one of the, he had just a permanent frown, bro. This guy looked like an emoji. So I think that's a serious consideration for Fred. Is if he resigns with the Raptors, is he going to be put in a situation where he yeah. might be on a team where he's just being held hostage? Yeah, uh, that's fair. I would hope that he's back personally. I think that Fred is a overall good for the team, uh, but. Again, like if Fred's gone, then I think the Raptors' decisions change drastically and very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Because and, and it's not contingent on this team needs Fred. I'm saying this team needs good guards to be functional. I mean, like I think most teams in the league are like that, but especially the Raptors. Um, and we'll say what you want about Fred. He is still the best guard on the team. And my goal is to improve the talent on the team at the guard position with or without Fred. So yeah. if you take him off the team, you better get back somebody who's really good at running point guard, or at that point you, you, you might really pivot in the, in the teardown direction. And like, look, listen, you had all season to be able to extend Fred, you know, we kind of just like brushed aside the topic, but there was no extension reached. Um, I, I believe that deadline is still there. He, he, uh, you know, we'll see if he picks up the player option or not. Well, obviously he's not going to pick up the player option, but like, you you did have a lot of time to to reach that, and so yeah, I mean maybe you, you it changes and you get into free agency and he looks around and he comes back anyway, aka the Kyle Lowry because Kyle was always kind of like I don't know I'm gonna hit free agency I'm gonna look around and it's like oh I would have really loved to go to San Antonio it's like nah no buddy you're gonna stay right here in Toronto this is where you're <laughs> most valued and I could see a similar similar scenario with Fred but um, yeah hey Kyle Lowry's yeah. three year ninety million dollar contract was considered an overpay uh, yeah. 
and like at and, that time. and that's pretty much what fred is not not what he's looking for exactly because i think there's been obviously inflation in the league since but yeah he literally mirrors kyle's career you know like even him going to clutch like it it was in large part well i i don't even know what yeah i mean you, you could look up who kyle Lowry's former agent was and you could look up which which agent joined clutch around the same time um well not the same time uh th- this this past season um who may or may not be working with with fred you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying Fred is like a Kyle sort of cosplayer, but there, there's a lot of that. <laughs> anyway, um, we'll see if we'll, we'll see if Fred's back or not. I mean, if they make trades, I think the Raptors are in a good position to make trades with guys like Pascal and OG. Like, I think every team in the league will want these kind of guys. Um, at that point, I'm just like, okay, I guess you could just keep Yak. I mean, you 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 should at least keep Yak if you just let Yak go after you, you wasted a first round pick on him. Then I really don't understand what you're doing, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. But I honestly, like, you, you thinking about the tanking versus like thinking about rebuild, re, resigning. Like, I, I'm pretty firmly in in the idea that the the front office is going to resign their guys, and then it's about how do you put them in the best threat, uh, positions. And that's probably why this coaching search is so important. You know, so yep. is there a guy that you like the most right now currently? Out of the coaching search? Yeah. Um. Uh, I again, I don't know anything about these coaches. I don't know like what sure, they're. Yeah like mindset is like, it's not like you get like a lot of access to them, but I like the idea of a Chris Quinn. I think a lot of things that Masai said was he said he wanted to focus on culture. Mm-hmm. He wanted to work on like, again, development is something where the Raptors have kind of like gone astray, but that's something that's, why, do you, why do you think they haven't developed this past season? Like, why do you think no one really showed like significant uh, development? I think know? part of it is that you just had like a lot of like the coaching staff, like I think just decayed in general, like you lost, like there's been like wholesale change, like since like, the team that developed that championship team versus now, right? Like right. all those guys off the roster are gone. So John was gone. Here. Exactly. Patrick Mutombo's gone. Uh, so like, you, you know, have all that. Also Sergio like they left. Yeah. at no point, like they've had pretty like, like the guys are bringing in are two ways and like second round picks, right? They've been, they've had a pick shortage. Now it's like, you have a Scotty Barnes, you have your precious Achua, you have a thir- number 13 pick that's coming in. So you're going to have a, bit of young talent for whoever staffs in here to work with um christian coloco even is at least like a second round pick that you can see some like actually like playable nba minutes with so now it's like hey you, can, you actually have guys you can develop right even jeff dowden showed like the ability to play some nba minutes mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and again i've not discussed malachi and delano um there are reasons why i haven't discussed malachi and delano. yeah i mean um and because like again the development just has not shown at any point I don't think development needs to come from playing NBA minutes, by the way, like there are skills that you can develop outside of NBA minutes. Like, I don't know, shooting a jump shot, dribbling, uh, <laughs> dribbling. Like these are things that you don't need to yeah. be like playing NBA game minutes to learn how to do or develop. So again, until you can like do some basic things, I'm not, I'm not of the idea that you have to give guys minutes for them to develop. Like, yeah, please let me see you dribble the ball when a guard presses up on you. If you're a point guard, um, <laughs> Like, or at least like, can you at least play defense to a, to a degree where it's like, okay, we can at least keep you on the floor and you're not like filling the whole game. Yeah. And that's where I'm like, okay, Christian can be in a game for 15 minutes, even though his offense is probably the rawest out of everybody on the team, but it's okay. Cause he actually plays. Like defense. you can't be a target and a liability. Like you can't be a target on one end and a liability on the other end. Like that's not like, that's a, like, what do you mean that you're not an NBA player at that point? Sure. So yeah, yeah. like you can't develop into an NBA player. Like at that point, it's like, well, you could pick anyone from the G League and throw them in and hope that they become an NBA player if you give them enough minutes, right? Uh-huh. Um, that's not how it works. Like, there is skill development that needs to happen. And, again, that skill development, like, maybe you need 
uh, coaching staff that can actually develop those skills like off the court. Um, I like Chris Quinn. Um, he, I think from what I've read on him, he's responsible for a lot of the development in Miami. He's like basically Spoles' right-hand man. Yep. Um, Miami's culture for a large part kind of mirrors and is very like, they're basically like a brother sister to what the Raptors culture has been over the last 10 years. Mm. Um, the organizations kind of approach things the same way where they sign back their free agents. They're never really, neither team looks to tank. Um, and both of them, play similar styles of basketball um to be fair uh so chris quinn again i don't know what chris chris quinn's x's and o's are but i can't imagine that he's been like basically spoiled go-to guy for this many years without him you know being a competent uh competent person he is a former nba player as well so it's um someone who has a history with the game as well Mm -hmm. at a high level so he's definitely like number one like like of the people that i can kind of look at of like yeah he's he'd be high on my list. I think it would make sense based on what Masai was looking for. Um, I know that like, if we were going off the board, I know that you, I know you're really excited for like a Sergio Scariola, uh, but um, yeah, I'm pretty excited. And by the way, if you, if you, if you're curious about Sergio, in his case, you can always search in Sergio Scariolo on Twitter or not Twitter on, on YouTube or on like whatever podcast app you use. Like you will find lots of conversations with him. You'll find lots of play breakdowns. Obviously, he's like a very long time tenure coach in in Europe, and so you have like actual basis of um, plays and stuff that he runs. But like, yeah, it it's, looks good. And then when you hear him speak, he seem he sounds like a very respectable individual. There's actually one recent I was listening to where he was talking about you know working in Toronto, and he was like, yeah, you know, when I first got here, um, Hawaii for the first month, he 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 only ever said hi to me and nothing else. Um, and by the time we got to the playoffs, every single game before every game, Kawhi would come to me and we would sit down for 10 minutes and we would chop, go, go through all the scenarios together. Like that yeah. became one of Kawhi's guys. And I'm like, yo, if you can get Kawhi's buy-in as a coach, then that's pretty impressive to me. Yeah. And like, again, like it might just be like a stereotype with like European coaches, but like European Absolutely. basketball, like just in general, European basketball has played like that's like basketball played the right way. Like these are people they it's not individual style basketball. You're playing team concept basketball. The offenses there are much more. Um, it's it's all half court. It's it's all like, half court offense. They they like the European game. Like if you're able to bring those skills over and you're able to like the biggest again the biggest barrier for European coaches is usually like what language and culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now if the Raptors feel confident in Sergio being able to had a team in an NBA culture with like how NBA players are. Um, and again, like he's been on the Raptors bench for however many years, right? Like mm-hmm. they have a history with him. Um, if they think that can be a successful transition, like that could be a very uh, fruitful uh, partnership. Right. Um, I think Sergio comes across really professional as well. That's always great. But again, like there's so many assistant coaches around the league. There's yeah, so much talent around the sure. league, but I personally, I don't really care for um like obviously i don't want a dictator to come in uh by any yeah. means like, and that's the, the thing i think but that's, i don't that, that's what I, separates I care, Sergio I care less about the coaches yeah. that are more like like the the player type coaches and i i would like to have a coach that is like a basketball focused coach like team basketball is kind of what i'm what i enjoy watching the most um uh, and i think having a coach that can be dynamic be creative in the half court can create plays because again like you don't need to like what greg popovich has shown for the last 25 years what makes him like the greatest coach in basketball history is that no matter what roster he has like as depleted as the spurs might be 
they can for five minutes if they execute their stuff correctly play some gorgeous basketball Mm -hmm. no matter who the five guys are out there and it's just like that's where like if you want to coach let me get as good a coach as i can get related to the basketball side of things uh, and I think, again, Toronto spends more or less top dollar on their staff and their facilities and on their team. Yeah. So, like, there's no reason. I think I think it was – I forget who it was. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know who to give credit to. But one of the things about Toronto that was said was that Toronto definitely has money when it comes to um, the coaching search. Uh, yeah, I think Grange said that. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think yeah. – I don't think price will be an issue. It's just a matter of can Toronto find a guy who can, like – Sure. Again, manage this team correctly and bring get the most out of the players. Yeah. Because like if you're get like I don't want a coach which can only who can only coach good talent. I would like a coach that can coach any talent. Um I would like a coach that talent. brings the best out of the players. Yeah. Like that's the bottom line, or like improves the players. Yep. You know what I mean? And I and like look, development uh, realistically, a head coach isn't even that involved in the player development side in terms of the hands-on <laughs> stuff. That happens more with like assistant coaches people uh, p- players working with those guys most first and foremost development happens with the players players have to show the aptitude and the work ethic to want to improve obviously there's direction there's input from the head coaches but the head coach has got to manage everything the head coach is like a ceo but he's not coming down to the plant and inspecting every single can of tomatoes also i don't know why this is sort of the the industry i came up with but that <laughs> i suppose that you know this is a the, this is the campbell soup company apparently but like that you know the, the head but the head coach needs to establish like fairness in the group and like look it, we're going to set uh, a role for you we're going to set a standard for what's successful for you what's not successful for you and if you meet that barrier then you get rewards as in playing time which then leads to minutes which that which then leads to the actual stats and that leads to money you know what i mean and you're, you're supposed to be able to pitch it that way and sort of hold everyone accountable but there's a lot of things that go into coaching i can't imagine to really understand all of it by the way researching sergio because i've been more and more intrigued with this idea um his star player right now on his team is Marco Bellinelli, man. Shouts to Raptors legend Marco Bellinelli. Yeah. And <laughs> talking about I I if Sergio Scariolo is the coach, I doubt that he would be uh touching Campbell's uh Campbell's uh, yeah. tomato sauce. You're right, absolutely. Case. He's making his own sauce. And that's what I need. I need a coach who can, you know, make his own sauce out of this team. Uh and I think Sergio would be great. Uh I I find that exciting. Again, like it's just a name until you actually see how yeah, it works out. And I don't think any fan or any analyst has any idea kind of no. what would make a good coach. The only thing that I can say is I don't think I care for any of the coaches who have been recently fired. Um, yeah. Same. same. By any stretch. <laughs> like there's, I'm not going to say, I'm not like, obviously no one's perfect. I don't think Sergio's perfect. I don't think Chris Quinn will be perfect or more question marks to me, but like, there's a reason why some of these guys got let go, you know? <laughs> um, so I'm not, I'm not like super, eager to dive back into some of those candidates also i'm just firmly out on jj i'm sorry man the more i'm thinking about it i was like why are we hiring jj reddick or even like even steve nash i'm just like can i see that you've had some coaching experience you know what i mean the like, thing is i don't trust any coach that uh like looks to put together because i'm like if you're a coach i need you to look like tom thibodeau that yeah, is like yeah. that is the type of coach i need you to look like like for budenholzer for all of his faults as a coach oh man you know I that man not, was working man that man I was knew working. that man was working every day he had seen every single uh piece of tape which also shout out to eric spolstra because uh-huh. he's able to look amazing while being a, like a video room guy like yeah. you know that guy lives and breathes basketball and somehow manages to look incredible so shout out to him 
Uh, no, you're right. Because because the funniest thing is watching Tom Thibodeau right now do the comb over, but with like five hairs at most at the top of his head. That's not me making fun of him being bald, but it's just like, what are you combing over, man? Just like let that thing flop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Greg Popovich is not. I mean, whatever. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Like, there's, there's not that much else going on in basketball right now with the Raptors. So, um, yeah. Aside, is there anything else you want to to talk about? Anything you want else you want to add? Uh, none much. I think it was, you know, it was good talking to you getting on the pod. Yeah. Um, it was, I, it was really unfortunate looking back that we didn't do a single slander pod all season. Um, uh, so the hope is for next season, no matter what happens that we get one or two of these off. Absolutely. Cause like if the Raptors, honestly, if, even if the Raptors had made the playoffs, I would have been down to do a slander pod after like one of these teams got wiped out. You know, but, a lot of people messaged me after uh, I think game three, uh, where the Celtics got washed by the heat. <laughs> And like again, like I would like whether it's Philly, whether it's Celtics, I would love to do go in. But again, mm. like you you don't really have any uh after you miss 18 free throws, there's nothing to stand on. Like bro, do you understand how something. generational the slander pod would be if we played, let's say the Bulls, for example, the playing <sighs> game and we beat them because they missed 18 free throws because Navaccio <sighs> was screeching on every free throw? Like so yeah, I mean when that's in the back of your mind, you have to feel a little shame. So I'm actually proud of you for, for bringing yeah. that up, you know, because we have to have standards. No, no offense. Yeah. The actual, the closest we got to a slander pod is um, the game where we came back on the bucks. If, if they yeah. had pulled that game off in overtime, cause I think that would have also made us 500. I don't remember if that was the game that would have made Ooh. us 500 or the next one. But like, again, the rules are always, we got to be at least 500. And for some reason, for the last few seasons, it's always been a Bucks game that we've gotten to 500. Because I've slandered the Bucks, I think, the last two seasons in a Absolutely. row. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's there's possessions just, where Thanasis has come in to check Pascal Siakam, and it hasn't gone well. And they just couldn't do it this season, um, yeah. which is unfortunate. That was close, though. That would have been a legendary one. Oof. That would have been a legendary one. And also, that's when I was like, you know what? Like, the Bucks they got some real problems you know like i'm not saying that i knew that like okay from watching that game that they were gonna like get obliterated by jimmy butler um but i i definitely knew that i was like okay this is not some infallible team over here you know what i mean they're old and their half court offense is 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 i'm i'm just i'm just saying the only reason the bucks won that game is because the raptors shot literally one of 30 to start the game because like Giannis had like a triple double with turnovers and stuff, man. I know he had the game winning assist to Grayson Allen in overtime, but I was like, eh, I don't know, yeah. man. Also, like there again, were no winners like, here. Just to talk, just quick little minute on this. The Raptors' outlook, like people might be really down on it, but at least all our guys are young, bro. The Bucks aging roster. The Sixers, they're aging. They might just lose James Harden for nothing. The Celtics, their core guys are getting really old, like. Sure, Jalen and Jason are young, but they rely on Al Horford. They rely on Marcus Smart. Like, these are not like, like they have a lot of old pieces there and they're very expensive. Then you look out to Dallas, they're a complete mess. Luka Doncic has what, maybe a year and a half out from being in trade me territory. Like, there is a lot of movement potentially upcoming, especially with some of the, a lot of the top teams in the league, where, because, I think another thing that we haven't really noticed is like so many guys have had extended primes, whether it's LeBron, whether it's KD, whether it's uh, uh, even Chris Ball went for a while, mm. James Harden, like all these guys have gone really later in age. So like it's gotten really competitive because young talent keeps coming in. The old guys haven't gone away. We're about to hit a wave of 
retirements. We're about to hit a wave of dudes getting washed very quickly that are still like making $50 million. Mm. Um, and when that hits, again, the Raptors roster is in a great position. Like if you're able to just stay competitive, stay young, and you're building up, I think there's a lot more opportunity upcoming to add than there is to say, hey, let's dump out right now. Um, which is also why, again, like for next season, specifically when people just look at, well, how do we get better next season? There's no path. And I'm like, I'm kind of looking at like the next two to three year window. How do you kind of keep your next two to three year window as competitive as possible and like as opportunistic as possible? Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a lot of guys that are going to potentially become available or be traded because that's how stars move in this league is by trade. Mm. So. No, I mean, that, Masai literally said that in the press conference, right? And, and not to say everything he he says is we're just going to take it for, like, gospel or anything, but, like, but I think he was right about quotes. that. Like, 29 losers is, like, 1,000% about to be true. Yeah. Like, every single team that goes out is, like, in turmoil. I love watching those Bobby Marks, like, offseason, uh, uh, like, checklist things that he's yeah. dropping after everyone gets eliminated. And every team is like, they got a lot of tough decisions to make now. I'm like, oh man, there's a lot of tough decisions to be made around the league. Mm. And hey, if the if the West goes through Nikola Jokic, uh, I don't know how you don't pony up for the premier Nikola Jokic stopper in the league. Hey, if man, you're a Western Conference team, you know, as as a as a not not even that quiet of an OG hater. I'm not even an OG hater. I'm just like I, I don't I don't buy into the the ceiling so much offensively. Defensively, just, though, just, he is special. And, like, every team who is has any idea in the Western Conference of trying to make it through needs to be calling the Toronto Raptors about OJ and OB. And, listen, you might not even get him, but, like, you need him because of look at all those individual threats that are out there, right? And OG is probably your best option against all those guys. Yeah, Will gives OJ and OB the immigrant dad treatment. It's just I, like, <laughs> why not? Why not 100 no, but I, I think that's the thing with too in the Eastern Conference. It's like I don't know. There's not one team that you're like, okay, you have to get past this team. There is, you know, even though I thought the East was more competitive than the Western Conference this year, just based on like, okay, who had sort of the best teams by record and all that kind of stuff. But like, I, I don't know. Like, yes, you need to improve your core talent, um, and you need to find ways to do that. And until the Raptors get sort of that top five level kind of player like you're kind of just in the mix with everyone else but like a lot of teams in the east right now are kind of in that position so yeah you could just play good basketball for like 20 games and end up in the eastern conference finals it's not yeah. that long of a stretch uh but in any case uh i will say i'm happy that will you get uh, a little bit of time to breathe now in the summer um i hope you get some rest i will say there was one point in the season when i really started feeling like will was getting a little bit burnt out and cooked, oh, okay was it was the first quarter and after og ananobi had already made a layup he just like fumbled a ball in the post bro that's um, nothing i missed a layup and will just lost it. i'm like bro it's the first quarter <laughs> yo i'm sorry man nothing bothers me Every more than possession bad counts. Ball og ends yeah. the game like nine of 13 from the floor as an incredible game in the post game it's like, yeah, look, I, I think I think I was hitting a little bit too much in the first quarter. I got away from you, but oh, geez, the second star tonight. I'm like, yeah, there you go, there you go. Yo, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I just feel like <laughs> ball handling just needs to be like a prerequisite for every basketball player, man. Because that feels like it's so evidently like it's such a learnable skill. Not to say that everybody needs to be able to like handle the ball like Kyrie, but like I need everybody to come into the league with like some pretty good handball ball handling, like. You know, like, is that, is I, that to me even feels more developable than, than, than shooting. 
Yeah. I will say, like, top three things I hated about this Raptor season. Uh, Precious Achua half-court dribble drives. Bro. Gary Trent Jr. fast breaks. Oh. And uh, Scotty Barnes no-look passes uh, in transition. Uh, as much as I love him when he pulls him off, there, that one in Denver before at the end of the half, mm-hmm. I I don't I legitimately threw my TV remote like across across the room. I was I was like how how why <laughs> why that pass there, man? But uh, yeah, like for individual plays that pick yeah. up, those would be top three. I mean, there's 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 a lot of those, right? Like the yeah. the Fred two for one threes. I don't, I don't feel like he got a single two for one, bro. Yeah, I think he was the worst plus 25 foot three point like volume plus 25 foot three point shooter in the league this season. Every two for one for Fred Family was pizza pizza, man. Like it, it, it's it all that it just did not work this season. Um, yeah, Otto only playing eight games is hilarious. Him picking up his player option, I mean, like I knew he was going to, but like I don't know, man. I really wonder without a player. I feel like there should be a clause where you don't get to pick up your player option if you only played eight games. I'm sorry. I know it was injury. I know it was injury, but goddamn. Oh. Yeah. Wancho. Remember Wancho? Wancho was a thing. Oh, yeah. Playing Thad at center. Why why was Nick doing that? That made no sense to me, bro. Like, I I think Thad could actually contribute. Like, it's not like you need to play Thad, but like, if you play Thad, can you play him not at center? I think the bet with Thad was Nick was just like, I can't trust anybody else on my bench at least this guy might make the right decisions but then oh. he was just like painfully old whereas just like he can he's a one position guy and like it's like he can only play the four and in certain circumstances just yeah nothing else but the, and, but, um, but absolutely not the five because every time they put him in pick and roll <laughs> i just felt so bad for the guy man. <laughs> like yeah. if he wasn't taking the charge it was a layup like I think honestly, the the vibes were bad on the Raptor season when they were starting Christian Coloco like basically out the gate, mm. uh, and I was like, damn, like I know Christian looks good on defense, but they really don't trust uh, these other guys that much. Um, where I was like, yo, Christian actually does look better starting at five than having uh, like a small ball lineup with Gary or having um, Precious out there. And I was like, that's not good. That's uh, not a good sign. Yeah. Ever. But yeah. Anyways, new season. We'll have new fun. We have a new 13th pick coming in. See what happens after free agency. Um, and you get a year better for all these players to kind of clear the books and come back better. Precious Chua, fourth year. Hey, this is it. <laughs> Sounds like a threat when you say it. <laughs> but seriously, hey, but seriously Precious, I said you're please, mine. man, please take this thing seriously, man. I'm not saying take this. Okay, he works really hard. I don't want to make any misconceptions, but like I just need the decision making on the court to, to improve. And for him to understand what he does well, what he doesn't do well, and sort of like make it 80 Again, 20. You know what I mean? 20% we saw, we is like good, ambitious. We saw good stretches. We saw, is good solid. stretches. we saw good stretches. Yeah, well, absolutely. We saw good, good stretches. stretches. No, I, I, I like Precious. I mean, he's he's still my second best prospect on the team, to be honest. So yeah. I have to like Precious, but I, I actually also do like Precious. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Asai, appreciate you. All right. Follow you on Twitter at Swar Lasers. Yes, um, you and I are on team bring it back, unfortunately. So, um, you know, we're going to be canceled online, but you know what? That's okay. That, hey, honestly, it's, it's okay. Listen, man. If, when they if, win if, a games again, everyone is happy. So I will say I will be happy to trade for Evan Elite if like say Draymond Green walks and they're looking for a Steph Curry trade. Damon Lillard wants to move. Hey, I'm down to trade anybody. Who, who, for who's the worst upgrade. guard you would take back for Fred Van Vliet's on a trade? Like, are you so down bad? You're like, I'll take D-Lo. You know, like, <laughs> no, 
Hey, bro, bro, bro. I've seen, I, bro, I've seen it on, I'm, I'm telling you, people. No people D'Angelo don't. Russell. I'm, I'm very good on D'Angelo Russell. Me personally, uh, having used to root for the Lakers, mm. once upon a time, D'Angelo Russell broke my spirit. I'm like, I cannot. D'Angelo Russell, I've gone through every iteration of him. Nah, bro. It's just not, it's just not, it's just not it. Okay, I, I've seen people say like I'll take Lonzo Ball back for 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 Fred and Lee. You, you cool with Lon, you cool with Lonzo as your starting point guard next year, bro? Like, why don't we just take Magic Johnson right now or take Steve Nash at point guard? They're they're as likely to play as many games next I think, season. I think like, Steve might finally be healthier um, yeah. as a point guard, which <laughs> hasn't been cited for a long time. Also, as you as a Laker fan, you know that experience, but. No, I mean, I like, think, would you take Spencer Dinwiddie? I've seen that one also put push forward. That's a iffy. Like, it would it would depend on what's attached to Spencer. Yeah, um, I wouldn't. Spencer's a step down, one hundred percent. But yeah. like, I wouldn't value back. I would love, like, again, like the the best possible deal that you could get is like if somehow you could trick Indiana to give you Nemhard. Uh, oh man, right? Which would be like again fairy tale. Uh, I just don't think there's. I just don't think there are good equivalents for Fred VanVleet like that make his money and are of his quality. Because again, like all the guys that are better than him make more money than him. Yeah. Would you take or CP? are like rookies? Hell no, am I taking Chris Ball? I want a team that's more dynamic and moves the ball. And like, why would I want to bring in Chris Ball? He's the least dynamic guard in the league. He's old. He's useless off ball. He's super injured all the time. And he's I'm sorry, annoying. he's just freaking down. Yeah, that's the biggest thing, too. He really like at just... least Kyle Lowry's an enjoyable flopper. Chris Paul just looks annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you just know that that guy's cursed. So why would you want to bring him to your franchise? I'm sorry, but like, yeah, hey man, clearly cursed. Well, I mean, there's not a lot of great signage right options, man. I, I just, yeah. I, I hate to say it, but you know, I feel like Fred doesn't have that many suitors, and I also feel like the Raptors don't have that many replacements. So yeah, kind of just have to run it back. Sadly, yeah. Like the only way I could see it is if like, would you take Terrence Mann? I don't. That's no, not even no. a good fit. Like it's, you actually just, need whichever point guard is playing point alongside Fred and pa- or alongside Pascal and Scotty. Like and unless Yacob one of unless one of these game. unless one of these Eastern Conference teams that flamed out. Like I'm talking about Philly, Milwaukee, Boston. Unless they are interested, I just don't see a sign of trade where like it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Maybe if Orlando, because like uh, okay. Orlando can get to the cap space, but I don't think they want to get to the cap space because they'd have to cut a lot. Yeah. I think they'd be better off with a sign and trade because they have some non-guarantee guys that kind of like, like okay. are sensible. I think you could get like a young point guard and Gary. Would you, Harris. Would you take Markel? If it's like Markel, Gary, and a pick for like yeah, Fred, well, but sure. we can have a conversation because I actually kind of like, like be a Markel. conversation. I wouldn't hate that, but yeah. like I'm not also like. Like but, it's not something I have to do either. But again, you're running into another thing where it's like Markel is mostly a mid-range shooter and a slasher. Exactly. Like, and, I think Fred VanVleet brings you things yeah. that like your team does need, regardless. Um, and I think if Scott, like Scotty Barnes becomes a better player, some of these younger guys become better players. Sure, the usage will even out a little bit. Like, I don't, I don't think it's as dire where you get a new coach and I think things will change up a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. I appreciate you. I don't know why these pods always go so long, but uh, you know, it's, it's okay. It's it's. Uh, I hope people like longer podcasts. Maybe we'll put in timestamps so people could just skip to the portions they like. But uh, yeah, appreciate you, Asad. Um, take care. You know, you, uh, you know, I'm always rooting for you in life, man. So, facts, man. We're trying to we're trying to spend all summer getting back in shape for the next Raptors three on three tournament. We're gonna get that win. Yo, I'm telling uh, you, I'm I'm consistently getting better at shooting now. Like, there's runs where I'll go and we play for like 90 minutes or whatever. Yeah, and I'll make like six or seven threes. Like that's 
that's I'm at least functional on that front now. So I'm, until I see the Rico Hines summer tape, man, I, I can't I can't buy okay. it. So you know what? I, I will get Alex to to turn on the camera <laughs> for the next Tuesday run because like. Yeah, I mean, currently right now, I got a little bit of a cold, so uh, yeah. I missed this week's run. But next week, when I'm back in the gym, I will show you those six threes, bro. Yeah, I'm not going to say who, but some uh, an unnamed guest on the Raptors Moment podcast uh-huh. uh, uh, said that I reminded them of, like, a Julius Randle meets Channing Fry, which bro. I took great offense to personally. Oh, my God. Uh, they haven't seen you in so, your prime, because literally in yeah. your prime, you next were three you on were three the tournament, I'm running through their chest. You were the Jokic of... Uh, the three on three tournament back when you know you were back in your prime right, in 2017, 2018. Like like Blake Murphy. Blake Murphy was basically Rui Hachimura to your <laughs> to your actually I won't even give him that because he wasn't scoring. So Jared Vanderbilt actually is much more apt of a comparison for Blake. Um but you were basically the Jokic to his Jared Vanderbilt. Yeah. So but this summer we get back in shape and we're gonna run that tournament and we'll do a post turning prod. And right. that would be great. All, All right, right, man. I can't wait. All right man. Appreciate you.